Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello everybody, uh, welcome to episode number 29. 29, can you believe it? 29. 29 in Bible Unmasked. We have reached close to the halfway point already. Can't believe that we've already made our way halfway through the Bible. Uh, for those of you who have been going right along, I know you've gone through your high points, your low points, and your in-between time, and now we're heading into the major prophets, and then we're going to go into the minor prophets, and then we're going to head over into the New Testament. So it, it's going fast. There's some heavy-duty stuff we're going to be discussing today. The questions that people have given, Jen and I, 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 I will tell you personally, I have personally spent up to five hours now in study to get ready for the questions you've asked me. So so I've given up my summer vacation. So I, can do this. I get no vacation because of these questions. That's okay. It's all for the Lord's work. It's keeping me out of mischief and off the streets. So that's a good thing. Um, so these, uh, these uh, episodes, as you know, because you're here right now, air every Sunday night at 7.30 p.m. on YouTube at Plantation SDA TV. Our goal, of course, is to read the entire Bible in 2021. And it's a good thing, you know, because we're now just past the halfway point and we're halfway through the Bible. So we are on track to do that. Okay. Every week um, we will be sharing, uh, we'll be sharing our plan with you so that you know what to read over the previous week. And it's very helpful if you read as we go along. So don't wait until we go into it, but read a little bit every single day as part of your personal devotions. It's not that much, but if you read, if you try to wait until all at once, it's a whole lot of reading. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you from personal experience reading the Bible, it's easier to cut it up into little bits so that you can absorb it. If you're trying to read too much, now this is my problem, your mind will tend to wander because in many cases it's new material and it makes it a challenge for us. So, so if you read as you go and take small bites, sometimes you've got to go back and reread it to understand it and keep going. Um, it's very helpful to do that. So for me, it's the pastors um, that are associated with the Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church and myself. Sometimes people call me Pastor Rob. <laughs> I've been a pastor, although I'm from a long line of pastors, both non-Adventist Protestants, as well as Seventh-day Adventists. And, um, but I am just principal of the elementary school, Rob Stevenson, although I do have a religion and psychology minor on, uh, on top of my education degree. So that is where we are now. Um, I'm going to invite Pastor Jennifer Hernandez uh, 
to uh, start us with prayer, and then she's going to read question one, and we're going to jump in because there is a lot to cover today, and we'd like to cover every question. We may not get to everyone, so if you didn't hear your question answered, we're going to answer them in the order that they came in, and if we don't get to yours, please, oh, please, oh, please, it's not because we're avoiding hard questions. I love the hard questions, but we just may not get to them because some of them people said, tell me what these entire chapters the entire mean. chapter, yes. Okay, okay. And, and and so that's a lot of stuff. And and, and those, those chapters that the chapter three and four of Isaiah, I could literally preach a month-long series on that. And we're supposed to tell you what that means. So so we've got some challenging questions that may take some time to get into. We may not be able to get into them in the kind of depth you were hoping for, but we will do the best we can with the time we've got. So yes, then let's invite the Holy Spirit because in this one, we need the Holy Spirit with us today. Yes, we do. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time that we can put aside, Lord, and delve into your word and learn an, e an even deeper revelation about you, Father. I ask that you bless our discussion, bless the study that those who are watching and listening will follow along with, Lord. And may this all be for your honor and glory as we seek to know you more. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we have a ton of questions, so we're going to attempt to zoom through this. Um, not, not only as, not as quick as possible, but as efficiently as possible so we can cover everybody. All right, our first question is in regards to Ecclesiastes. So for those of you who do not know, we are going from Ecclesiastes 5 all the way through to Isaiah 11. So we're covering practically three books or half of Ecclesiastes and on to Isaiah. So here we go. Ecclesiastes 5.4 in the New International Version asks this. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. And the question is, does God punish us when we fail to fulfill a vow to him or others? All right, guys, so hopefully you've been reading all of Ecclesiastes because none of Ecclesiastes makes sense by itself, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, so, so first of all, for those of you who are struggling with depression, I'm sorry that you're reading through the Ecclesiastes right now because that's a struggle. You've got, to, you, you've, got, you've got to be thinking pretty positive because as you have read going on, the the the, uh, the Solomon pretty much says life pretty useless. I mean, it really does. And so I hate to break it to you. Um, you know, he he talks he talks about the futility of the things that we do. But when we make a promise to God, we've got to be very careful. We've got to be careful because when we make a promise to God, that kind of promise, and it's so easy to make, right? Oh Lord, if you if you please save my grandmother, I will never drink again. Uh -huh. All right. Oh, Lord, it's raining so hard. There's thunder and lightning and I'm driving it. If you get me home safely, I will never drink another caffeinated drink. We make <laughs> promises to God. Guys, if we make promises to God, 
we do need to follow through. I'm, I'm just telling you because, listen to me, God fulfills the promises he made to us. Yes, he does. Okay, and we went through that when we, when we, were, when we have been uh, discussing Abraham and his walk with God and the tremendous promises God made about sa saving mankind. And God expects a reciprocal seriousness to the mm -hmm. promises we make with him. And mm -hmm. so... Solomon is warning us because we'll get into other questions where we're going to realize the sovereignty and the power of God. And when we don't follow through with God what we have promised, we are diminishing the sovereignty of God in our lives. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. God cannot bless us if we diminish his sovereignty by making haphazard promises to him that we have no intention of keeping. That's okay. right. And if God isn't central in our lives, God can't bless us. Mm -hmm. I, hate, I hate to break it to you. If that wasn't the message you wanted to hear today, because so many times in, even in modern North American evangelical Christianity, it's all, it's all roses and, 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 and happiness and all that kind of stuff. And you can live whatever debaucherous life you want to live. And God's going to continue to bless. The Bible does not correspond with North American evangelical theology. Mm, okay. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. So, so even though the, the Seventh-day Adventist church is considered an evangelical church, we are a church of truth. Don't diminish God by making promises to him that you don't intend to keep. It's That's right. And we can't expect to be blessed. And there are only two lives, the blessed or the cursed. There's nothing in between. So if you're not being blessed by God and you've removed yourself from the sphere of blessing by minimizing God's power and not following through with your promises, then you have disconnected yourself from his blessing. And when you're not being blessed, you're either blessed or cursed. There's nothing in between. Okay, guys? You either are saved or you're lost. Let's live our lives as if we believe truly that God is the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. We're going to hit some of those statements made by Isaiah, okay, that he's the center of our lives and keep our promises with him as much as we believe in all of our hearts, he's going to keep his promises to us. Well, in addition to that as well, there is that question then that what happens when we do break a promise to God, a vow that we've made, will we be forgiven? And I, I know some of the listeners might be thinking about that. Oh, okay, well, I can't make any promises. And if I do, and I don't, and I don't keep them, will I be forgiven? And, you know, the answer to that is there is no sin. And a sin is breaking a vow, right? There's no sin that's unforgivable, except for the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Um, but he will forgive you. There's gonna be consequences that come along the way because you've broken your vow. And we, we think, and you're like, well, are there any, are there any um, examples of this? And there's several examples, you know, when Saul made a vow to God that none of his men would eat any food until evening, but then his men did because they didn't know of the vow that Saul made, you know? Um, and, and when the, what was it? The, the name of Jephthah, he made a rash vow to God that he would make a burnt sacrifice to God of the first thing that came out of his house. And when he got home, the first, thing that came out of his house was his daughter who came to meet him. And so, you know, these are rash, rash vows, you know? And so 
we have to watch. We have to watch what we're making and really try to keep to keep our promises. And, and you know, sometimes we make promises that we have no intention of keeping. Mm -hmm. If we made a promise and to the best of our ability, we fully intended to, but life caught up with us and we were unable to, we, we, we can be forgiven for that. Yes. But if we continue to make vows to God that we have no intention of keeping. Exactly. That's where. That, that's, that's where, where you're, you're borderlining on sinning against the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. and, and so be careful. Just be yes. careful of that. Yep. Okay, let's jump into Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19 and 20. Moreover, when God gives somebody wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom, refl they seldom reflect on the days of their, of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And then the question is, do all wealth and possessions come from God? This is going to be a simple answer. Yes, all wealth and possessions come from God. I had a conversation with, with a close friend a few years ago. And when this subject came up of where wealth comes from and so forth, my friend said, well, I earned it. All the wealth that I have is mine. It didn't come from God because I earned it. So then I countered with, well, who gave you the talents in order for you to have obtained all that wealth and knowledge for, for you to be as successful as you are? So ultimately, even though by, by our own hands, we are doing things that accumulate possessions and wealth, everything, everything that we are blessed with comes from God. And, and so then the, the, some people might say, well, what about the poor people? Well, you know what? The poor people sometimes are, most times are even happier. The less that they have, they're happy in what they have in their lives. And so it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor, your thoughts of your own possessions and what you have, all of that comes from the Lord. You know, I, I, I agree with you mostly, and that's on a personal level if you're a Christian. Ah, okay. There are some evil people who have made a lot of money. And mm. I will tell you guys that um, the devil can help people become wealthy too. Mm, good There's point. A price to be paid. Yes. Okay, guys. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I mean, down just, in, just in, a, in, a, in an unnamed county south to us, there are people who've made a lot of money on drugs. Many, many times those people later in life end up in prison and live a miserable life. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so, but, but when we're talking strictly in a Christian sense, I agree with you, Jen, mm -hmm. that when it comes to a Christian sense, we have to be cognizant of the fact that, that our, that our wealth has come as a result of God's blessing, blessing to our abilities, blessings to our talents. And you're right. You don't have to be wealthy to be happy. But I think what Solomon is talking about here, too, is take time to enjoy it. Oh, if instead of constantly just working to expand it. Yeah. If you're constantly working, don't be like me, okay, who doesn't take summer vacations, who spends hours and hours doing Bible unmasked, 
who, who just goes and works at his Christian children's home. You know, you, you've, you've got to take time out to enjoy life. Um, because if you don't and you live a miserable life, again, going back to the overriding message of Ecclesiastes, okay, life is meaningless. Yes, yes. Outside of our walk with God, life is meaningless. Take time to enjoy this meaningless life we live, or else you're living a meaningless and miserable life, okay? There's no reason to do both, okay? That's right. That's so if right. You're, if you're working hard. Now, he also tempers this with, hey, if you're a crazy person and you just like working and that brings you joy, work yourself to the grave, Okay. <laughs> But 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 if you you just got a job that's nine to five and it's just paying the bills, make sure you take time out to enjoy this meaningless life, or else all you're doing is living in misery for your whole life. And let's not live in misery. And Jen is so right. I've traveled to many many third world countries where the children in those countries are the happiest. Nothing. Yeah. You don't yes. have psychologists working with depressed children in the villages of Africa or in the jungles of Peru, all places that I've been, they're happy little kids who are happy with next to nothing, who enjoy every single day and everything, every little thing they have, mm -hmm. they enjoy. That's right. That is right. So let's take uh, it as a gift to God. Awesome, Jen. Awesome. Next question we have. Ecclesiastes 6. Oh, this is a long one. Ecclesiastes 6, um, verses 3 to 6. A man may have a hundred children and live many years. This is what we're talking about. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes with meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest, the stillborn child, than does that man, even if he lived a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place? And here's that famous question. Please explain this passage. All right. So as Solomon rightly points out, we're all going to die. Hate to break it to you, but unless Jesus comes... You're going to die, okay? We don't know what our expiration date is. Unfortunately, we're not like cheese or eggs. We don't know what our expiration date is, but we're going to die. And so what Solomon is saying is if you all you do is work and work and work and work and accumulate wealth and die and don't take time out to enjoy, to enjoy it, you may as well have never lived. Mm-hmm. That is that's, a harsh mm -hmm. statement. That's harsh. And I will tell you, especially living in North America, you know, because <laughs> in North America, all we do is work in this crazy that's country. Right. That you know, if, right. you're, if you are smart enough to be a European, you know that Europe shuts down for the summer mm -hmm. and goes to the beach. We don't do that in this country. We work and work and work and work until we drop, and then we're supposed to be grateful for it. And what Solomon is saying, what Solomon is saying here is if you're working all the time and you're not enjoying it and you're not making and, and all that money that you're making what good is it going to do you take some time off go to the beach hang out with your family be with friends live a little he's not saying be a, be be a sloth and never work but he's saying what good is it if you don't enjoy it it is really good advice especially for us in north america Yes. We work until we drop every single day. I think Japan does that as well, I believe. 
correct me if I'm wrong, but yes, I know they have a huge work culture, uh, a huge work ethic. Yeah, the, 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 the Japanese, I think, are the only other country that outworks the United States. I mean, they, they, we, we are crazy, 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 crazy. And, we, 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 and then we wonder why the psychologists and the psychologists, yeah. psychiatrists are working full time. Okay, I mean, sometimes I think that I went to the wrong profession with my psychology <laughs> degree. I should have gone into counseling. You, <laughs> American workaholics, would have made me a millionaire, I guarantee. So there we are. Okay, yes. let's jump into Ecclesiastes 6, verse 11. Jen, the more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that promise anyone? And a good question, and I, man, I, I'm going to have to jump in here, Jen, because mm -hmm. this, this is a big one for me. How can, okay, should we talk less according to this verse? Ooh. So, you know, I, I actually looked up Ecclesiastes 6.11 in the NK, NKJV version. It's, a it's slightly different. And in, in the NIV version, this is, this is a better, straight, more straightforward um, verse. So basically what I have gleaned from this verse is actions speak louder than words. You can, you can speak your mouth off um, about what you believe or what you can do, but if your actions do not follow what your words are, then your words mean nothing. And if you even go into verse 12, and so verse 11, what we're looking at says, the more the words, the less the meaning, how does that profit anyone? In verse 12, it says, for who knows what is good for a person in life during those few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they're gone? So my thought is, if you don't make the most of living out what you're actually saying and what you're actually doing, then your words truly mean nothing. You can say how smart you are. You can have a bunch of degrees underneath your belt. Um, you can be as righteous and do so many great Christian things. I mean, and say you're going to do great, great many Christian things. But if it does, if your words do not match your actions, if your actions, if your words are just nothing and you do not follow it up or back it up with actions that prove what you're going to say, then your words are nothing. You may as well just not talk. You know, I agree. You know, one, of, one of my great rules of thumb in life is if somebody has to tell me they're honest, they're not. <laughs> Okay, and somebody has to tell me to trust them, I won't. Okay, that, that, that let your actions, let your lifestyle, let the way you are live and communicate. If somebody says they're smart, they're probably not. Okay, um, you, you know, you, you know, somebody's smart by what they do, you know, somebody's honest by how they talk, you know, yes. you trust somebody by how they live. And if somebody has to tell me, tell you, trust me, I'm honest. <laughs> if you ever tell me that, just understand what's going on in my head. No. <laughs> okay. So, 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 you know, the, the, talk less, do more. Do more. Yes. yes Very good. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. Interesting. How can a sad face be good for the heart? All right, this goes well for the realist in me. Okay, 
I don't know if you've ever met those people that are always giggly and laughing and happy and always thinking about the next party and stuff like that. And, 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 and that's all good and well. But we're living on earth. Mm. Okay. And sometimes a little bit of introspection, mm. a little bit of reality, a little mm. bit of real thought, you know, and again, you've got to understand the overall theme of Ecclesiastes, somebody who is connected with the uselessness of life. And I, and, you know, and to say life is useless, I know, I, again, I'm so sorry for those of you who are dealing with depression. I've been there. I've dealt with depression. Yeah. You know, don't, this has been a, probably a tough week. <laughs> okay. I read the Ecclesiastes once while I was depressed. It was a tough read for me. Okay. But we're going to realize that there are times and sometimes even in the depth of depression, it's because we're getting into the deep, dark, scary part of our soul. And mm -hmm. I, as, as those of you who've heard me preach before, that's where God lives. That's, that's the real part of us. Okay. It's mm -hmm. not our Facebook persona. You know, those people, it's, it's always one stupid selfie picture after the other of smiling and what they're eating and all the joy, but deep down inside they're struggling. Okay. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's in the struggle. Yes. It's in the struggle that we're, where we change and become better people. Yes. It's not in the giggling. It's not in the giggling and the laughter. It's in the struggle. So don't don't be don't be ashamed of the struggle. Don't run from the struggle. Sometimes you've got to embrace the struggle because just like somebody who's a weight trainer who has to embrace the burn in order to grow and become stronger, you've got to embrace the struggle because that is where God is with you and mm -hmm. is building you into something stronger. Amen. Amen. Um, there's a saying that goes, we do not learn anything on the mountaintop. We learn in the valley. And That's as right. we're struggling to get up to the mountaintop, problems come to us to make us strong. In Psalms 119.71, it says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statues. So you're right. This is where in the hard times, in the sad times, this is where our character is built. This is how we get closer to knowing God. All right, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 16. <laughs> Do not be overrighteous, neither be overwise. Why destroy yourself? <laughs> Question. What does this mean to be over-righteous or over-wise? All right. I looked this up in, I looked this up in the dictionary in Google. Over-righteous, excessively righteous usually implies hypocrisy. Yeah. And excessively wise means someone is too clever for their own good. So basically, no one likes a know-it-all. No one is going to respect you. You ever had that that friend or you're in a class and, 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 and that one super smart person is the one having answers to all the questions or there is one other, other persona that just has an answer for everything. They don't have to be specifically majorly intelligent. And sometimes you just want to also have a quiet co a conversation that goes back and forth and then people don't end up respecting that person because that person won't let them get a word in edgewise. It won't let them also share. And um, that that's one of it. Overly, overly, what do they call it? Overwise and overrighteous. Overrighteous, over you, you, you become like a Pharisee. Well, you, you, and you know, also, Jen, in my experience, 
The people who are really wise and really righteous are completely unaware of it. Exactly. They don't say it. They, they, they don't make it a point to say and announce what they, they are. They, they, if you tell them that you think they're wise or they think they're righteous, they'll be surprised. Yes. You know, um, I think that there is a probably something that I've noticed over the years is actually one of the biggest um, sins is self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. If you think that you're righteous, you have missed out because it doesn't matter how good you are. It, it, it's only by the only by grace, Christ, only mm-hmm. by the grace. And, and I will tell you also and another example of, of over, over righteous. And there, there's some good examples of this. Let's just say, for instance, that you are on a desert island somewhere. And the only thing on that island to eat is pork. Now, if you're a a good Seventh-day Adventist, you'll say, I'm not going to eat pig. I'm going to die. But here's the thing. If you eat pig, you'll live. Okay, until you're rescued. Now, after you're rescued, you can go back to your vegan diet. It's all good. But until you're rescued, that pig may be all you get. Okay? All right? Sometimes you can be so righteous, you can just allow yourself to die. And there are classic examples of people in survivalist situations that have chosen to be over-righteous, let me, I'm going to tell you something. I hate to break it to you. Eating pig is not a salvation issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you have a choice to eat anything else on the planet. Eat anything but pig. It's a nasty, filthy, worm-infested carcass to eat. Okay? Don't eat it. But Jesus made it perfectly plain that it's not what goes in you and what you eat and comes out the other end that's important, right? It's about what becomes part of you in the spirit of God. So sometimes we've chosen to be over-righteous to our own detriments. Mm -hmm. When you go to visit somebody else's house, now I'm a bit of a health nut, so I'm I'm, I'm probably the right person to talk about this. I'm a bit of a health nut. (laughs) I have people who panic when I come to their house because they don't know what to feed me. I feel terrible. I eat whatever is being served in that house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I'll eat whatever they have on the table. I will not make mention of it. Now, when I go home and I'm eating on myself 99% of the time, I'm very careful. But I'm if at somebody else's house, I might eat it in small quantities, but I'll eat everything that I'm served. I will consume it. I'll eat it. I'll be grateful. I will thank them. I will socialize with them. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because the overly righteous will put burdens on people on to everybody else. where you can't even have the opportunity to witness to them because you're so hard to just have in their yes, house. Now, yes. if somebody served alcohol to me, listen, I'll just drink water. Hey, just give me water. I'm fine. Okay. There's certain things where I draw the line. But mm-hmm. when it comes to the food served on the table, I, I, I just tell them when people say, Rob, what, what are we going to feed you? I'll say, I'll eat whatever you put on the table. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. Okay, that's an example of not being overly righteous because it can get in the way of our witness. Yes. It's important. Our relationship with people and our relationship with Jesus Christ is central. Mm -hmm. So Solomon is saying, maintain balance. Please maintain balance in your life and, and, and make sure that relationships are important. And there are lines you should have in the sand, but if it's not a salvation issue, that's right. Why are you wasting your time on it? It gives you the opportunity yes. to reach out to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Reach out. 
Okay, mm -hmm. so, so so that's where I am. Excellent, on that. excellent yeah. answer. At the cost of us, you know, probably losing our jobs. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I agree with you completely. Yes, I agree with you. All right, Ecclesiastes eight verses two to four says, "Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence." Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? And so here is the question. We have a president in this country and in others instead of kings. Should we show them deference? I think we should respect people in power. I think that is... That yes. is good advice. And I will tell you, friends, as a Seventh-day Adventist, we should be proud because we have been able to work in countries where other denominations have been banned because we have stayed out of politics and shown respect for the people who are in power. Mm -hmm. Now, we can have our opinions about their leadership. We can have opinions about, about how they're running. We can have opinions but when we're dealing with people in power, our first goal is to move God's agenda forward. Okay, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you know, we see all the stuff happening in Cuba, but the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been able to grow and continue to function in Cuba because we have shown respect, not necessarily approval, but respect for the Castro regime. Our mm -hmm. goal is to... Is, is to forward God's mission on this planet. Also, when you're in trouble living in any country, okay, and you've been respectful to its rulers and you need help, yep. you're going to be, you're going to find things are going to go easier for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we should be very cautious as Seventh-day Adventist Christians about how we get involved with and interact with people in high office and in power. And we need to show them respect because of their position. And sometimes people have been put in that position by God. Nebuchadnezzar was put in that position by God. Okay? Mm -hmm. He conquered mm -hmm. Israel. The Bible's real straight up. God gave Nebuchadnezzar the power to conquer yes. Israel. It's right in there. You read it. You read it when I read it. Okay, guys? You are mm -hmm. reading Daniel made it, you know, when we get into Daniel, which is coming up, very, very clear that God gave Nebuchadnezzar had issues. God ultimately was able to convert Nebuchadnezzar through his Jewish captives. Right. God put him into power. So, so, so it is good advice. It's good advice. Mm -hmm. Be respectful to the people who are in power, because sometimes God puts kooky people in power because he's lining up the dominoes for something else to happen. Exactly. And, and I know that I know that people say, oh, well, previous previous leadership leadership was 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 terrible. Present leadership is terrible. But, but we forget that God has appointed these leaders, as you say, for a purpose. And honestly, Principal Rob, you actually came to mind when I was thinking you you personally came to mind when I was looking at this verse um, in Ecclesiastes. It's it says. Um, the oath of God refers to Israel's promise to serve King Solomon. 
And so I was thinking of, of something that would explain it even on a, a local level, right? You're the pres president, you're the, yeah, you're the president, you're the principal of Sawgrass. Right. You are respected. Okay, so may, you you don't know. Maybe there are people who don't like you. There's always going to be people who don't like you and who right. love you, right? But you're given charge over the school. And the way, the reason why Sawgrass is run so beautifully is because the people that are also under your team who respect you and are working together to make it a good school. So if you don't have subjects, sorry, teachers, you're not subjects, I'm just saying. <laughs> if you don't have subjects who don't respect you, who do not work alongside with you toward, toward the goal that you have for Sawgrass, then it would all be for naught, right? Wow. But you have a fantastic team that not only respects each other, but respects you as their leader. And, and, and they, they give deference to you. There is a certain deference that they give to you because, because of who you are and who you represent. And so, and, and then this type of model goes all the way higher up. Are, do we agree with what our present presidency and past president has done? Some, some have agreed, some haven't, but at the overall, we still must respect them because this is who God has put into leadership for whatever reason he has. We cannot see the future, but like you said, he's lining it up for his, his, for his own future purposes. Ecclesiastes right. 9 verse 8. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Should we take this, vote, this verse literally or symbolic? What does it mean? Hmm. I think we can take this verse both literally and symbolically. Um, the idea of Solomon that he is reiterating goes in two directives, two directives, white garments um, on the body and the anointment on the head male life, uh, the, the head of the household. Um, clothing in white, I'm thinking just be righteous, live a good life. That's what I'm thinking to, to simplify everything. Anoint your head with oil is have the blessing of, of God over you. When I looked over again, what it meant for the shepherds to anoint their sheep with oil, actually it was a practice of protection. They made sure they tried to grease up those horns as much as possible in the event that the rams started butting against each other and that they could just slip off in fighting. They greased the oil on to keep to keep um, parasites away. So flies would go in uh, in the summertime and they would, if they were successful, they would lay larvae in their noses and then it would hash, it would become infected. And sometimes in the pain of it, um, the, that, that sheep will butt their head on the ground or just really just scrub at their face because they're trying to get the infection out. And this was what a diligent shepherd did. He made sure to cover and protect um, his lambs. And so nowadays, when we think about anointing, we use it in ways in ways of signifying God's protection. So when you ask, oh, can you be anointed if you're in the hospital? We know that there is no anointing power in the oil itself, but we know that we are asking for God's sealing upon us. And so that's why I say you can take it symbolically, because that symbolically is what it did reflect. But literally, too, you know, live a good life, live a life of, of, of righteousness where you live well and you, and, and you serve God well, have the anointing of God upon your head so that you're protected by him.
Beautiful. I, I have nothing to add. That that was that was that was a great answer. You know, li live a life. Live your life as if you're blessed. Mm -hmm. and walk with God. Beautiful. All right. Ecclesiastes ten nineteen says, "A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything." Is money really the answer to everything? Well, you know, um, it, it sure is the answer to a lot of stuff, but you have to have the right attitude towards money. Money, can, money is a great tool, okay? For instance, we're try we desperately need an academy here in Broward County. We need our own high school. We need to stop sending our kids down to Miami Day. We're you know, even, even though they do their best to run a good school down there, it doesn't really meet the needs of our kids up here. Mm -hmm. Money would answer that problem. Okay. So, so, so money is very helpful. Okay. It's a helpful tool. But if you are looking to money to make you happy, you never You're have enough. You're barking you at the wrong. Never have enough. You will build your own spaceship and fly yourself to the edge of space, as we saw happen this past week, mm. and you'll never have enough, okay? But if you used your money to make a difference in the world, to be able to change world problems, to be able to deal with world hunger, with, be, with, with, with like, you know, uh, Bill Gates is, is a bit of a controversial figure, but he spent billions of dollars yeah. trying to solve the issue of malaria in Africa. Mm -hmm. Okay, use your money to make the world a better place. You can answer a lot of problems. You can make the world a better place. If you're hoarding money in the bank somewhere and you're not paying tithe and you, you know, it's a two-edged sword. But the reality is, and, and, and it's funny because you read Ecclesiastes and we, you know, we, we read Proverbs. The, again, Solomon said, hey, bribery can make things a whole lot easier. You know, I mean, he, he, he's a pretty realistic guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so is money a, a problem for everything? It can be an answer for good or it can be an answer for bad, which covers just about everything. So one of it, one of the questions says, is it appropriate to discuss children, discuss Song of Psalms with children and read it to them? Now, huh. now, now this is going to, I'm, I'm going to be straight up. I'm a school principal. Mm -hmm. I deal with kids once they start hitting the junior high. They know nothing about the birds and bees. Yep. And, and we, we've allowed psych society to make those kinds of, of, of questions dirty. Yeah, you're that's right. That's how God created us. Mm -hmm. And we teach our children that those things are dirty. I was fortunate that I grew up in, in an Irish home. And listen, my Jamaican friends, you're all at least a quarter Irish, okay? <laughs> so allow the Irish side of your DNA to hit you, okay? You know the history of Jamaica, right? Okay, so, and at my home, we could talk about anything at the dinner table, as yes. long as it was done respectfully and we used appropriate language and, and, and we didn't have dirty intent, we could ask any question and we would get an honest answer, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, human sexuality is something that should be okay to be discussed in fact, the best place to discuss it is with the family. At it home. is. Mm -hmm. Because many times the only place that is ever discussed is at school in a, in, a, in, a very, in a very sterile environment because the teachers are very, very careful not to offend anybody. But mm -hmm. 
Sometimes at home, you can talk from personal experience. You can talk to your children. You can say, hey, that's how you were born, Happy. I mean, you know, that's we right. have those discussions. And, right. and, and, and take away the, the, the perversion that especially the modern internet porn industry has put on what is a beautiful thing and the kind of, of intimacy that can be created and, and the connection of hearts. Because the story of Song and Solomon should really be gone through, especially with your kids when they're hitting junior high and teenagers, because it's how two soulmates found each other. Exactly. It wasn't an arranged marriage. It was a true romance. And, and they met each other and they truly fell in love and they connected heart to heart before they connected physically, but they connected physically as well. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what we want for our children. And if we don't discuss it with them and provide guidance for them, they're on their own, wandering around in the cesspool pool of a world, trying to figure stuff out that is can be very complicated unless they have... Um, have have loving mentors who they can talk to about it and provide guidance. And I think people are afraid because I, I think upon first passes, they don't look, you know, they don't look at the Song of Solomon and then when they really get into it. And then these people start looking up like, oh, what does that mean? And yeah. they see it, they're like, oh, I can't show my children. That's in the Bible, how dirty. But we forget that the Bible hold so many torrid stories, but yeah. they're true. You know, they, they wars, um, abuse, sexual infidelity, they have, it's all in there. But when you come to the Song of Solomon and you read, but it's so beautiful when people are worried about its sexual nature, but it is so beautiful how it is presented. Would you rather read it out of a present day novel or out of the context? of the Bible and be able to explain what certain things are. Yeah. That, that, you know, that's my thought of it. It's, it's, I, I think it's beautiful and we'll, we'll, we might get kicked back from that, but. Well, you know, one of the realities also is, you know, especially when it starts describing the, the female form and so on. <laughs> Listen, if you have a junior high boy, He's thinking those thoughts already, guys. Exactly. Okay. I mean, if you think, I don't want to talk about that, he's already thinking about it. You may as well express it and talk about it and have a good discussion and, and, and provide guidance about how, how, to, how to do it in a way where you're appreciative but not objectifying and have exactly. those good discussions with your kids and, 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 and realize that we're all human beings. We're sexual animals and, and, uh, and we need to be able to have open communication as parents with our children about that so they can come to us with their questions or else it's all dirty and icky and ew and and and, and, it's, it's a whole lot more and when you can point it back when can, when you can always point back how sexuality comes from god yeah it makes it even better because then then it's okay it's okay to talk about it because it is a creation and an act that was given by god and so it's, it just comes better flowing out of your mouth that way my thoughts so isaiah 113 stop bringing meaningless offerings your incense is detestable to me new moon sabbaths and convocations i cannot bear your worthless assemblies please explain this passage how can our offerings and assemblies be meaningless how do we know whether our worship services oh, are meaningless Oh, man, this is a good one. One of my personal ones. One thing I hate to break it to you, I, I, I go to churches sometimes where people will brag, I've never missed a church service in 86 years. 
Good for you. But going to church isn't going to save you. If you're going to church to save you, if you're, if, if you're, if you're involved with your church because you think it's going to save you, you, you that, that, that's not how it works, guys. And so what he's saying here is if, if you can actually turn your church service and church involvement into a form of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And yes, when you, you turn can. it into a form of idolatry, the Lord detests your presence because rather than putting your trust in him you're putting your trust in a in a in a program in a performance in a performance and and the performance isn't going to save you now if you're there and the performance brings you closer to god and you're there to honestly worship and you're there to commune and 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 be part of and, and connect with god then it's a beautiful thing Yes. But what he's talking about here is people idolatrizing the service and that's believing right. that there is anything connected with the service that's actually going to save you rather than a service that points you to the Savior. Exactly. All exactly. Right. I've been a part of many um, in the past, let's say collegiate, large services and and those services pride themselves on the fact that they have the largest attendance versus the the down the road traditional Seventh-day Adventist church. They pride themselves they have the best services because of their fantastic worship, right? And and I've also been asked in the past to to be a part of that team. And so when I've been a part of the team and then you see, so you get excited. I get excited. Wow, I get to be a part of this. But then you see the behind the scenes. Yeah. of how people are creating the service because because the focal point now is that service is a production they want everyone to come and therefore every single note is going to be some bam on point and and to the point where people are arguing arguing and the worship gets lost it may be beautiful set out amongst the praise team and whatever whatever processes that service has but i've seen those churches and those teams fall apart because they have taken out the aspect of worship and replaced it with an aspect of program and perfection and fully took away worshiping God from it. And that's what God doesn't want. That's it. Hey, let, let, let's jump in because we're running out of time here and the Isaiah questions are the juicy ones. Yes, they okay. are. Let's do uh, 1 verse 17. Mm -hmm. um, because it's another good one. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Should churches take, um, make it a priority to advocate for social justice and care for the less fortunate? Absolutely, positively, 100%. This is what Jesus did. Jesus Hung, his life was spent around on the social margins, the, the margins that were the thinnest, where the outcasts were out there, the homeless, the widowed, the orphans. That's what he spent his life, or this three years of ministry, ministering to. And we should use that. That's our whole role model, right? Go out into the world and preach the gospel and making disciples of all nations. We're not going to... It's harder for us to convert <laughs> to, to convert um, people who already know God. Why not go to the ones who don't know Him, who are who are having a fight with them, fight for them? Because when we fight for them, then they're going to say, "Oh, there are people who love and care about me. I want to know 
who these people serve. And you know, the, the Zen truth of Christianity is the more you give, the more you get. Yes. And so if we're a church that, that is not involved with social justice, we're missing the cause. We're missing the, we're, we're missing the whole point. And there, there are Seventh-day Adventist churches. There's one particularly in Phoenix, which I will not name specifically, who made it their entire mission to reach out to the rich and the famous. <laughs> Miss the point. Miss the point. We need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. He didn't choose the rich and the famous to be his disciples. He didn't minister to the rich and the famous. It was the rich and the famous who killed him. Mm. Okay. So guys, yes, Christianity is at its best and we're doing the best when we reach up and bring up those around us who are struggling. And what I'm so proud of about the Seventh-day Adventist church is we're the most successful of that of any other denomination. Okay. Most people come into the Seventh-day Adventist poor, and within three generations, they're not mm-hmm. poor anymore, okay? Mm. A church that reaches up, re- reaches out, and pulls up, and that's our goal as Christians, to make the world a better place by the power of Jesus. Amen. All right, we'll take the last one, Isaiah 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the height of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. What does this verse mean? Okay, this is a little bit of a complicated one, and I'm going to have to give a, a fairly simple answer in, in, in the um, in the uh, just because of Text the of time. <laughs> but but what we're talking about, other mountains represent other religions, okay? Ooh, nice. Okay, and so there are other religions out there, but, 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 but the, the religion that is going to come out of Judaism is going to be the highest point and the highest religion above them all, okay? Now, we also know and we study the scriptures and we will get deeper into that rejection of Israel that happens here in the book of Isaiah that ultimately there is a new seed of Abraham that comes up. Who is that new seed? That's Christianity, okay? Mm-hmm. And only a remnant of that Christianity is saved. And, and we're talking about the remnant, okay? That, that is the last little bit, okay? And, and that is going to be the exalted group. So when we picture Isaiah talking about it, that they were picturing, they had a different picture in their head. But, but, but ultimately, the, the, the exalted group is going to be a remnant of Israel that is going to be exalted, which are going to be those who are following God's Jesus commandment. That's right. Okay? Amen. So, and, and, and all nations of the world will be focused on them, both good and bad, okay? Coming to Jerusalem, coming to the temple, because that'll be the only way to salvation. So, there's a whole lot more. This is another one of those questions where you could literally preach a whole month on this and not cover all of it. But for the sake of time, guys, we've got to realize that ultimately all salvation is going to come through that remnant that's going to be on the highest mountain, the highest pinnacle of truth that tries to be as close to Jesus Christ. Are there other religions? Yes. But the other religions have to pass through that one to get to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. And time time has called time on us. Yes, it has. 
Guys, there's so much more in Isaiah. Please read it. But I will tell you guys, Isaiah is one. Please read it every day, a little bit at a time. Have a Bible commentary sitting next to you, or if you've got a good Bible, study Bible with a commentary, because Isaiah is deep stuff, okay? The first half of Isaiah is, is, is talking about the downfall of Israel. The second half of Isaiah talks about the 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 re the, the reestablishment of Israel. Okay, there are there are a lot of prophecies in Israel, in in, in there both directly in what we can see in the past, but also point to the future. There are prophecies that point to the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, you're going to see that, and you've already read it in Isaiah 11, 10 through 16. It points directly to Jesus Christ. It's going to talk about Cyrus, who who in in the second great return of the Israelites, similar um, similar to the Israelites leaving Egypt, the return of the Israelites from Babylonian captivity. That's all predicted before it happens. And what I love about Isaiah, guys, Isaiah is the book that you can use to convert your Jewish friends. Isaiah is the book that you can use to convert your atheist friends because Isaiah predicted stuff here in Isaiah just as much as in Revelation, okay? So continue to read Isaiah. Dig into it. But guys, read it every day. Because this is not something that you can just la 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 read over at sweet story time like like you can in, in like the book of Kings or, or the book of Chronicles where it's just good stories and blood and guts and all that kind of stuff. This is a whole different thing. But when you start weeding through Isaiah, you start realizing that God was speaking through the sky. Okay? Yes, yes. So next week, okay, so let, let's see, where are we here? Okay. We are... Okay, here we go. Conclusion. And please read Isaiah. Okay. 12 to 37. 12 through 37. Guys, that's a lot of reading. Divide it up each day. Please, oh, please, oh, please. Don't wait till the last minute. It's hard to focus on this stuff, but it's worth focusing on. It okay? is. 12 through 37. Okay. If you have any questions, we love your questions. They're hard. This is stump the chumps big time, guys. This is tough stuff. We I gotta get down and study this stuff. This is no fooling around. Please read. Call 954-388-8780. One more time. 954-388-8780. And a third time because a psychologist, you know, it takes time for it to stick. 954-388-8780. Okay, read daily. Okay, next week, your presenter and host will be Pastor Dexter and Liz Thomas. Okay, so make sure that you're ready. And you all know Dex, guys. He is dynamic. He's great. Absolutely. Great to listen to Dex and Liz. They do a great job. Okay, next, uh, the, the Isaiah 12 through 37, you're going to read a bunch of warnings about bad things that are going to happen to all the kingdoms around Israel. And mm-hmm. he predicts their downfall. He predicts their trouble. Okay. It can be depressing. Okay. So but he predicts but, the coming of the Messiah. That's, that, that's exactly it. It predicts the coming of the Messiah, but there's lots of warnings and stuff. So if you are in a dark mood, this is a good time because bad things are going to happen to bad people. So if you're in a situation where you want bad things to happen to bad people, you're going to love these next few chapters. Okay, guys, because he predicts bad stuff happen to bad people. Okay. 
And, and, and so pl please go ahead and read the bad stuff, the bad people chapters in Isaiah. It's worth reading. It's interesting. And it's also came true. For those of you who are historians like me, you can go back in history and you can yes. see that what he predicted happened. Comes so true. What the Bible predicts happened. That means the Bible is true. The way God said it was going to, guys. Exciting stuff. Yes. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Principal Rob, for always being a fantastic partner in this with me. It's always fun to present with you. I always enjoy myself. And thank you, all of you, once again, for joining us for Bible Unmasked. We hope that you have a blessed time um, reading the Word of God and getting to know God on a deeper level for yourself. All right, guys, have a wonderful week. And since Jen opened us with prayer, I'm going to close right now. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your people studying your word. I pray, Lord, please, that they have been blessed so far, that they can anticipate more blessings in the future. May they have a blessed week as they head on from Monday. And I pray, Lord, please, that you will give them good questions and give them good answers as we wrestle through Isaiah together, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked.